0: You're listening to Affect Autism, and we are continuing with our back-to-school series. This week, we are featuring uh, how to do DIR in a public school setting. We've talked about some private schools that are developmental individual differences relationship-based model schools that are either therapeutic day schools, private schools, but they are self-contained DIR schools. But what about regular public schools? What if you're a teacher, a special educator, um, a DIR practitioner, and you are in a public school? Is it possible to use this intervention in that setting? So with us today, we have Jackie Bartell, who is a retired special ed teacher. Uh, of almost 35 years. She has been with the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, the home of DIR floor Time, since the beginning. She had done ABA and DIR side-by-side 25 years ago in the early days, and the DIR model really grabbed her. She worked with Dr. Stanley Greenspan and Serena Weider, who were the pioneers that developed the DIR model. And now that she's retired from teaching, she does a lot of mentoring and consulting with ICDL and otherwise. And the bulk of her work was integrated in classrooms with preschools and kindergarten to high school. Um, It was in a self-contained setting classroom and integrated. She supported teachers in classrooms and using DIR strategies and the philosophy of the developmental individual differences relationship-based model. And we have Jackie with us from Rochester, New York. Welcome Jackie. Hello, hello. Great to be here. I'm excited to do the podcast with you. Great to have you at Affect Autism and uh, we might as well just jump right in. Um, Why don't you, um, I guess I have a bunch of different questions, but why don't we start with um, maybe when you are an educator in a public school setting, how important is it to have a principal or the leadership on board with the DIR model, or is it possible to do it if you're out there listening and you're a special educator and you think, you know what? I I want to do DIR with my students, but I don't know if my principal knows anything about the model. Um, how necessary is it to get that leadership on board?
1: Well, Daria, you know it's an excellent question, and I think there 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 are quite a few things that come to mind for me. And I think that that it that it's situation by situation. So I couldn't say it's always this way or that way. But here's some ideas and some thoughts. When I think about DIR, and I really like what you said. I think about it as a philosophy, a philosophy for intervention. And when I think about using that, that perspective, it's really helpful when we start taking DIR and moving it into the public school arena, because one of the things that, that is, that is often difficult is that we, we, we want to work in a certain way with children and we come, we're confronted with that public school arena and there are so many layers and so many bits and pieces that we sort of have to work through. So I try to think about it like this is a way for me to interact with children. It's a way for me to interact not only with children but also with the staff that's around me as I'm trying to provide support in utilizing the model. So it's it is marvelous and wonderful if we have a principal and the leadership on and, and that leadership on board, and if the principal is motivated to think about DIR, it is easier then to intervene. Within, within a larger larger group. You know, you can go deeper and wider if you have that, that leadership from the top. But if you don't have that leadership from the top, you can still apply it into, the, into a classroom because if you think about it, what you're really trying to do is utilize the philosophy, the strategies, thinking about interaction, thinking about regulation, and how do those two pieces, pieces work together with a child's ability to become part, become a citizen within the classroom that you're that you're in. And so, a lot of my work was done where I wasn't actually the teacher in the classroom, but where I was supporting kids as a consultant teacher in a variety of settings. And so, what what did that mean if if we had a student that was thinking about that we were thinking about using DIR floor time with them and that philosophy? What did that mean? It means that I had to not only support the child, but I also had to support the staff and I had to do staff education. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of a dual, dual process because I had to develop relationship with the staff. I had to develop relationship with the child. And once I had those two things going, once we have those two things going, then we can, we can start to help the staff develop strategies that are appropriate for the child. And so sometimes I went in and I said, "Yep, yeah, we're doing DIR. And sometimes I just talked about a philosophy for interaction and engagement, keeping in mind that we have to think about where the child is functionally and thinking about where the child is in terms of their ability to regulate in the, in the, in the environment.
0: Now, um, when you talk about supporting staff, um, I guess what kind of staff are involved? How many staff members are required to support this? And what what does it look like? Um, I guess in, in a little bit, you you gave us a little bit of an indication, but um, you know what does each day look like for a child in the school who's receiving this kind of intervention?
1: Well, you know, I think I think the first your first question how many staff, what is it, how how do we think about the staff? You know, and I think if, if I'm the teacher in a classroom in the public arena, I am dependent then on what the system will allow me to have in terms of support. And in each public school setting, there's variability about what, what the system will support. So I think, you know, we can't say it must be this in order for it to be successful, or it must be that in order for it to be successful. What we have to do is we have to be creative thinkers, and we have to be able to 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 modify and think about here's what here's what we're given, and now how can we make this work with what we're given? You know, so in some situations, there there are there's a lot of support staff, and in some situations there isn't a lot of support staff. The, so, so we really have to think about that, but you know, I always then go back to the philosophy. The philosophy—it's relationship. It's making sure that we're developing relationships and helping students develop relationships within the educational arena that they are placed in. Okay, so how, how do we do that? You know, and I think I think then that you know we have to really think about thinking about their individual differences and thinking about their regulation and how does that impact their ability to develop relationships within the educational arena that they're in and i think it's it, it it's what we have to really think about it it's not an all or nothing it's a process and as we as we go along we may have to change modify in order to enhance the, the, the experience for the student. So, you know, I can think about, you know, a variety of different situations that I was part of where, you know, a student was placed and, you know, we, we, we began to talk about, you know, thinking about that relationship and thinking about making the environment one where the child could be successful. And we had to tweak many times along the way. And that process then needed needed us to be able to Pull in the leadership. Pull in the the committees on special education. You know, kind kind of pull all those pieces and and, and have conversations with people about where we were and where we're going and why we're going there. Does so that sense?
0: what I hear you saying is very similar to what a practitioner would do when beginning an intervention with a child by finding out where the child is developmentally, taking into account the individual differences and in sensory processing profile of the child building that relationship and working through those developmental levels um, you're you're essentially doing that on another level with the school you're you're feeling out the situation you're you're seeing where everybody's at uh, what is everybody's individual situation how can we match it all together so it it really is a case by case, just like with each child. It's uh, individual by individual,
1: exactly. And I think that that's you know that that that's taking the the, the tenets of floor time and applying them through, to every to every interaction that we're having, and really developing a plan for each individual person that we encounter, and for the for the larger environment. What do we need in this environment? To make make it successful, and and the thing that's so important is developing a relationship with the people that are going to be doing the actual work. If you are not the primary teacher in the classroom or the therapist, you know. And I think too, you know, we, we have many people that, that are that are using DIR Floor Time, you know, speech therapists and occupational therapists, and you know, how how do you apply that into those arenas, you know? And it's it, it's again. You know, developing relationships with people and developing that trust so that they they can then take that leap of faith with you to change the paradigm, the teaching paradigm. Because really what we're doing is we're asking teachers and schools to change their whole paradigm about what is teaching about and what is learning about. Because we're really asking them to think first about individual differences Regulation, sensory processing, and then think about interaction and learning and attention. So we first have to get the regulation piece taken care of before we can go. You know, we we can take that leap to the learning. And I think that what school is set out to do, and especially when we're in the public school arena, because you know that there there it's 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 a pretty pretty large wide arena that. Public school is for learning. We go to school to learn, but if we don't have the tools as individuals learners to be able to learn, it's going to be very difficult. So, you know, it's kind of switching those paradigms for people.
0: And I imagine you mentioned, um, you know, really paying attention to the individual differences of the child because the first developmental capacity in the DIR model is of course shared attention and self and regulation so um, having a child who is able to calmly attend to stimulus around him or her and um, you know a lot of public schools aren't necessarily used to dealing uh, individual by individual um, with sensory processing issues so What happens, um, you know, a lot of the private schools that we spoke with on the blog in the past few weeks have sensory gym. They have an OT who comes in and does a sensory diet. They might know that the child needs heavy proprioceptive work before they go into a circle time or something like that for younger kids or for older kids into a reading lesson. They might need to get some body work so that they're regulated enough to attend to that lesson. Um, in a lot of public schools, I, I don't think sensory gym is necessarily a term that people are familiar with, or maybe it's starting to be more so. Um, how how creative uh, have you seen schools be where they have to work with children individually, um, and they may or may not have occupational therapy services in the school?
1: Well, you know, I think Daria, that's an, that's an excellent question. I and you know, I think that we can. I I can speak about what what I. You know very specifically about what I know in the in the community that I'm in, but you know we're we're you know we're in a large world, and so I I totally agree with you that there may be some some very a lot of variability in terms of people's understanding of sensory. And I think you know I encountered and had an experience just recently where we were really talking about sensory, and the people and the the, the staff really thought about. Well, if I, you know, get the get the kid playing with 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 really goopy things and 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 you know, play doh or or flubber or jello, those kinds of things, that was sensory, and I think that you know, so it's deep and wide what people understand about it, and that that we're really thinking about, you know, as you said, the large the large 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 body work, and you know proprioceptive work. And so sometimes we're in what we have to do is that we have to educate people on what those pieces are. And then there's other situations where the, where the schools the public schools are very much on board and they understand the sensory process and they have sensory sensory gyms and they have OTs on staff and those OTs are providing sensory diets and all of those pieces. So, you know, I think that 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 it's again what what is the environment that we are confronted with and how do we have to modify that environment to meet the child's needs and that, that in some situations the environment may be they may be already aware of what they need to do they may just need some support to do that in other situations they may not have any kind of an opportunity for that and so then we have to again be creative in thinking about what do I need to do to make this child successful you know it's always going back to that looking at the child's profile and really thinking about where they are you know and thinking about that level one are they well regulated in this environment at this moment and how does that change so that then we can get that 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 level of intimacy that shared attention so that we can get to that third level which is being able to go back and forth, you know, in, in, in the you know in, in the words of Dr. Greenspan, he always said if you don't have level three, school is going to be very difficult because school is about back and forth communication and interaction, and so we have to be able to teach people and 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 help people understand where the child is functionally and what is an appropriate expectation for the child in the environment.
0: So can you give us an example and of course as we've mentioned it's going to look different for every child and um, in every setting, in different cities, in different types of schools, large schools, small schools, of course. But do you have an example or two of a child you have in mind who had this type of intervention in a public school setting and what would a typical day look like? So, for example, they might start the day in the sensory gym, then they might go into their self-contained home, homeroom, classroom, and then they might get speech-language therapy in a, a separate pull-out program, and then they might do, like, how does that look like and what staff are involved? Just
1: an example of, of one child. One child. So I can think of a, a, a specific student who, who would come to school, his mom would bring him to school, and he would arrive, and the first thing that, that he was engaged, in, you know, and this, this was because we worked on developing those strategies for the school, he was engaged with doing some heavy work, so he carried, he, he had his, his, his uh, backpack had some heavy cans in it, so he was doing heavy work on and, his way. In. And sorry, how old would this child have been? This this was a kindergartner. A okay. kindergartner, okay. Yeah. So he was doing that he was doing that heavy work. So he would arrive into his classroom and, and what was great about this child's experience and what the school was willing to do is that he was a member of a self-contained classroom, but he also had opportunity to go into the mainstream. And so he would start his day in his self-contained classroom, and there would be some, you know, some morning 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 meeting kinds of things. You know, we're all here together. And he th- this particular student had a one to one aide who was with him and so that one to one aide was very much trained about how how to how to interact with him and how to support him and also had a good understanding of his needs from a sensory perspective and from a regulation perspective so when he, she said felt that he was well regulated then he would go off to his to the gen ed kindergarten <coughs> classroom and he would Engage in 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 their reading activities, and so in that classroom, then there had to be education done with the teacher of the Gen Ed classroom in order that she would know what the what was what were the appropriate expect, expectations for him in that classroom. So he would spend about fifteen minutes in that classroom, and then he would go back to his his self contained classroom, and in that self contained classroom, he would be part of of um some. Doing doing more kinds of proprioceptive work, so that he could make that transition back in the classroom. So again, you know, doing doing some heavy work, carrying things or pushing things in the hallway on his return to that classroom, and then he would be engaged in his self-contained classroom. You know, for the other other parts of the day, could be you know science or social studies. I'm not really sure or math. Those experiences, he always had his one-to-one aide with him, and that and she was responsible. For making sure that he was getting systematic sensory input throughout his day, so that was that was that was a really critical part of it. And then he would go, he would then you know it was lunchtime. He would then go to the to the cafeteria, and he would spend lunch with his typical peers in that in that arena again, with the support of his one-to-one aide. And then back to his self-contained classroom And in the afternoon, there would be another part of the day that he could be part, he again would go into the gen ed, gen ed classroom and he could be part of that, part of their, their art, physical education, music, that experience. And then he would wrap up at the end of the day. Now, that was, that was how he started. And as we went along and as expectations changed for him or expectations expectations changed in the gen ed classroom, there were sometimes issues that came up because you know, that the the, 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 teacher's expectations of all of the students were increasing. And sometimes he had, a, he had difficulty meeting those because he, he didn't have the problem solving that he needed in that, in that for those experiences. And so we then had to adjust Help the gen ed teacher adjust her expectations for him so that he could have a successful experience in that classroom. So it's 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 never it's always a work in progress, and so and, and 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 having that flexibility to 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 stop and say oh you know there's something something is going on here that's not okay. What's creating the problem? And I think one of the big things, again, for this student, and you know, for many others that 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 I've worked with, is that when when the expectation was too high, he started to demonstrate some off task, unpleasant behaviors. You know, where he would he would what, what was termed by the staff that he became aggressive. You know, that you know some pushing and some you know where he was experiencing that frustration. And their response was, we have to put a behavior plan in place to extinguish this behavior. And so I had to work with them and say, hold on a minute. Let's look at why this is happening, figure it out, and adjust the environment. Because what he's doing is that he's communicating with us. And that was a, that, that's a big part of the work that we have to do when we go into that, that gen ed arena is to help people understand that the behavior that some of these kids demonstrate is not you know they're not trying to be you know negative they're not trying to be aggressive they're not that what they're doing is that they're telling us something is not okay and sometimes they have to turn up the volume really loud to get the people in the environment to attend to it and say hmm something is not okay that that piece of it is is it's a it's a fine tap dance to support people in the gen ed gen ed arena about thinking about that what what that communication piece is and what does the behavior mean
0: because that might be the only way the child is able to communicate and it looks like bad behavior. And you have a tradition over the past, you know, 50, 60 years of being concerned with behavioral compliance. And um, this is something that's very different in the DIR model. It's not about behavior. It's not about compliance. It's about, like you said, adjusting the environment to meet what the child requires with their sensory processing profile and knowing that, The quote that we hear, if they could, they would, but they can't, so they don't. Exactly. Um, And just for our listeners, again, you are listening to Affect Autism. We're speaking with Jackie Bartell, who is an expert DIR uh, training leader and a a career special educator who worked with the DIR model. We're talking about uh, applying the DIR model in a public school setting, and so that's a, a really good synopsis of um, an example of a kindergarten student who's age four or five years old um, going through the day, having a self-contained classroom, um, getting different kinds of um, work, proprioceptive work, meaning needing input into their body to help calm the nervous system down enough so that they can attend to the lessons in the classroom. The, um, "Quote unquote," uh, regular classroom, and um, I guess a couple of questions I have would be: Do you have an example of an older child, like maybe a middle school age child? And also, um, how do you how what do you do when this type of approach clashes with the rest of the students' programming in the school? So you might have. Um, an ABA program in place that the school board has set up, or, or um, a, a teacher who is trying to um, teach a lesson in a different way that's maybe um, not on board completely, and there's some clashes, and again, I know you're probably going to say it goes back to relationships, building the relationship with the staff, and understanding that this is about meeting the student's needs and how can we help this student feel successful so they have a positive experience? And I guess um, the other part of that is, is, are these things all written into the child's IEP,
1: the Individualized Education Plan? So those are some great questions. And I think before, before I answer those, I just wanna to touch on something that, that, that you had said about behavior. And, you know, yes, yes, indeed, you know, it's based on 50 or 60 years of, of <coughs> com- compliance is important in the classroom, and I think that we have to, oh, excuse me, let me just get a drink. Yes, yeah, so and Jackie's
0: referring to um, the wave of behaviorism <clears throat> after World War II in psychology that brought about all of these different models that you could basically train people to, to behave a certain way. Um, and it stemmed out of everything that happened, uh, the compliance of people in, in Nazi Germany. How did people, uh, why did people do the things they did based on, um, being instructed to do so? And that brought about this whole wave of, uh, behaviorism and psychology and, and shaping behavior and this idea of the mind as a a blank box that you could take a child and shape the child into anything you want essentially ignoring the emotional component and of course Dr. Stanley Greenspan's model brought to the forefront that affect and emotional learning is what is key in uh, development and we learn through relationships we learn through emotional experiences in the context of relationships with people close to us warm caring nurturing relationships so uh, I guess uh, you know it, it's still very much mainstream in schools to have this behavioral model where we want compliance and uh, the developmental approach is is peeping its head into different areas and um, the DIR model certainly is not focused on behavioral compliance, but understanding behavior as communication. And what is this, why is the child communicating in this way? Because that's the only way they can. And so let's figure out, um, and I'll I'll, I'll give it back, give the floor back to you, Jackie.
1: Yes. And so that, that communication piece, and I think that what, what happens often with, with our students, not, not, and not, it's not just with students on the autism spectrum, but I think it happens in general, is that, When we are stressed, when we become dysregulated for whatever reason, our ability to communicate decreases. And one of the biggest problems is that people have an expectation that when you are demonstrating communication skills, that you will be able to maintain those communication skills even when your body is stressed. And so... Therefore, the conclusion is drawn when we're seeing behavior that the child is being naughty and that they're not communicating because this child has the ability to communicate in some way. And I think that that's, a, that's just a really important piece for us to keep in mind and that we have to educate people about. And that that's, that is often something that we confront in that public school arena because compliance and it's not just, you know, it's not teachers. It's, it's, it's the larger cultural perspective that compliance means that good teaching and good learning is happening. And, you know, all the research says that that's not the case. However, it's, you know, that it's going to take time to switch that paradigm. So I think that that's, you know that's paramount in terms of that communication and the behavior piece. So I think that that's you know, just just to make sure that we remember that. So then you know you asked about you know what what does it look like for a middle middle school child? Again, you know we're, we're we are continuing to think about the same pieces that we're looking at for a kindergarten student because they our our customers still need to work on that regulation they still need to get themselves into a just right place and so we still need to continue to have opportunities for these students to engage in heavy work and engage in body movement and engage in 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 all of those experiences that support that regulation the difference however may be from between a kindergartner and a middle schooler is that perhaps the 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 method by which the child gets that is going to be more controlled by the student themselves. If, if the student is capable of doing that so that, that, that they're going to be reminded to do that work, but they may not, it may not be someone saying, okay, now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do that, but that is going to become part of their routine in their day, but they're going to take some responsibility for doing that as they can. And again, there's going to be opportunity to be part of the mainstream, to be in a situation where where perhaps they don't they, they can't be in the mainstream. It you know, it's case by case basis. But again, we have to be sure that that it's a team approach and that there's 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 a collection of professionals who are working together to determine what is the best way for this student to go through their day and learn. Because you know, kindergarten is is you know it's it's all day sort of with. With one teacher, when we get into middle school, kids are starting to move from classroom to classroom. So how do we support them with that? I can think of a very specific student who was able to be part of the educational arena in in the typical classes, But those transitions between class were very difficult. And what they did with this particular student is there was another student who supported him in that process of moving around the building and making those switches and, and stuff. There's sometimes these kids still are get, be, being given support from other adults in the arena. I think it's, you know, it's really thinking about it from case, case by case basis. You know, there isn't, it isn't a, this is how we're going to do it. So I think it, it's really important to think about that team approach and being able to have everybody at the table to figure out what's going to be the best way to do this.
0: And how, and are these plans um, when a DIR intervention is considered, do you find that it's been put into the IEPs? Or is it just a philosophy that the staff is using and it's not necessarily written in the IEP?
1: I, I've, been, I, I've experienced it both ways. So that sometimes, you know, I, I can't help if I'm the person who is, who is assigned to do this work. I can't help but be that person because it's sort of in me. So I'm going to bring that bring that to the forefront, you know. And also, you know, being mindful and aware that there's going to be a lot of differences around the table and different perspectives around the table. So there's, you know, it's, it's educating. It's giving people examples. It's it's helping them experience what these students are feeling. There's other situations where it's it's, it's right in the plan. You know, the parents are the parents are part of this. They they very much want their child to be to be supported with a DIR framework and DIR philosophy. So then it is written into the IEP. So it 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 it, it goes both ways.
0: And what about um, clashes with other forms of instruction or programming? So. Um, maybe the child has this DIR in place but then one of their classes is very behavioral or um, or they have an ABA program because that's what's funded on the side and it might clash with some of the principles of DIR. Have you seen that and and how how does that get resolved?
1: So so I my perspective on that is that that clashes are not you know it it, it it's not, it isn't productive for anyone, it isn't productive for, for children, it isn't productive for families, it's not productive for, for, for providers. So my, my point of view on that is that, that, that those things are going to exist and what I try to do is then make the two things work together. You know, you're doing an ABA program, please go ahead and do an ABA program, but let's think about how we can incorporate some of the more developmental, more relationship-based perspectives and philosophy into the strategy that's being utilized. And so, you know, it's again, because, you know, in a classroom, we don't know what what the what the you know a teacher's management strategies are. So how do we and, and we can't go in and say I'm sorry you can't use those management strategies because they would throw us out in, in immediately. You know we have to work, figure out how to work together with them. So how can we then creatively start to talk to them about the, the, you know that works really well. How about if we try this you know so it's 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 always modifying. You know, it's kind of like it's it's a work in progress. You're you're molding the clay. You're remolding the clay. You're always remolding the clay. And as they are able to see the child being successful, they're going to come. They're they're, they're going to be more willing to come on the journey with you. Make sense?
0: Yeah, that leads up to my next question, which was going to be, how do the kids respond in in all of the cases that you've witnessed over? almost 35 years and, and doing DIR for the better part of 25, um, how do the kids respond to this? And And also, do you notice how does it compare to kids who haven't had a DIR intervention? In your experience, have you noticed differences between the children who have more of a DIR model approach versus ones who don't?
1: Well, you know, I have. I mean, obviously, my bias is that you know it's DIRs is, is is the way to go in that relationship piece. So, you know, I what I have seen in in all kinds of settings is that these kids do better in terms of their emotional experiences and in terms of their emotional well being that they are. Happy to go to school, they're not being forced to go to school. The the staff and the teachers begin to see a child who is calmer and so more available for instruction. And I think that 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 you know that that's the key piece. So I think you know, I can say in a very general sense, is that if given the opportunity to do the work, we can see children being calmer and more available for instruction, you know, and I, I mean, I can, you know, kind of real specific examples. There was a, there was a, a, a young young man who was having a great deal of difficulty being in his self-contained classroom and being sort of being in the whole school arena. So the, 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 the decision was made, you know, he's going to go, he's going to have his own space and he's just going to be one-to-one with, you know, with his therapies and with, with, with a, a, um, A 1 to 180 was with him all the time because he was so dysregulated. And so we came in, you know, and then I worked with that person. And as time went on, he became calmer in that environment. And so then we were able to take that calmness and slowly and gently move it into the self-contained arena. And from there, they progressively were able to move him into the into the gen ed arena, but that was I mean that was a process. You know, we had we had to go step by step. What does this child need? You know, I haven't had another student who was she was can in high I, school. Can
0: I just ask about that child you just mentioned? It was a very long process. How long was this that it went from one on one to self contained to that? Is that over the course of a school year? Over the course of yeah. five school years?
1: What's know, the timeline? For this little guy, it took it took. We started. We started out, you know, things things went crazy wild in September and they, you know, the district said SOS, we need help. And I I was called in because there were some people that were in the in that setting who who knew about DIR and they said he needs DIR. So I was called in and he he then was in that 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 self his own space probably from October through Christmas, and then after Christmas vacation, he started to he was he was then able to move slowly back into his classroom and then from there, probably by March, he was starting to do some things with 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 his his typical peers. And the other piece was that which was huge is that this this little guy was bolting like he, he just was trying to leave all the time and he finally the, the staff in the school, you know, like the whole school, because he would just kind of zoom all over the place. Everybody calmed down, and he calmed down because he was no longer running all over the place. You know, so that they, he kind of had the whole the whole school was on its toes, and it's a, it's it's a big school. So th- that whole process, I mean, it was it, it was very enlightening for for him, for the smaller community, but the larger community of the school was able to see this progress, and they have since incorporated using some of these strategies more systematically within the larger arena of the school.
0: Wonderful. It's, it must be such a joy for the family and for the staff to see this kind of progress. Um, how does it look when summer vacation comes and then you're back in the fall Uh, I know there's a whole stream in education about the, I I forget the actual term, but something about the the loss over the summer, um, loss in learning. Oh, I forget what the term is that they call it in the research, but but, yeah, different kinds of regression over the summer. So I imagine that must be even exacerbated for a DIR um, intervention, or I should say for a child with more challenges. Um, you know, a new new classroom, new teachers, new students, uh, different situation. Is there a way to have that continuity across school years?
1: Well, you know, they, here here in New York State, we have a, a summer program that 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 falls into place if there is documented regression for students across the school year you know, vacations. So many of our students are able to act to continue to access services. In their summer programs, so you know that, that they, they continue to get that support. I think without the support, you know, you you, it, it, it's, it's very true that kids regress. But hopefully, if the program has been successful, for for a school year, the summer comes, and then the next school year occurs the staff is going to continue to understand that they need to continue to program for this child with a perspective of regulation, with a perspective of sensory input, with the the, the perspective of relationship, and that that will continue going forward. And if there's a successful experience, that the language then gets put on the IEP so that people then utilize the strategies that we know create an environment so the child can be successful. So thinking about some of those kindergartners who came through or the student that I was just talking about, we were very mindful about how the IEP was written for those kids so that as they they confronted the, the, the new school year, people already knew that there were things that needed to be done quite systematically in order that the child would be successful.
0: And so that if new staff came in and say the teacher of this child's classroom is from a new school district just coming in for the first time, that they can sort of uh, have this information documented and, and you know, be, be trained by the other staff on to where, to where to pick up.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because I think one of the delightful things that happens is that not only does the child have success, but the staff has success. And it feels much better. I mean, it feels much better to have a calm student because of the the things that you're doing with them to keep them calm rather than having a student that's falling apart all the time. And then you're trying to extinguish the behavior, which doesn't really work. Usually the behavior escalates or changes and it becomes uglier than the first behavior.
0: And I really I know there there's a couple of DIR practitioners I know who really just the word calm is so irritating to them because you know some people misunderstand that concept of calm. Oh, we have to keep a child calm, which means sitting at a table being compliant. And that's not what we mean by calm. What we mean by calm is that the child intrinsically has come to a place where they feel calm, not that we're making them calm. So we are facilitating them being calm by providing their body with the sensory input they need or some children might be overstimulated by noises, they're wearing headphones, whatever it is, we're facilitating the calm by making the environment better for the child, giving them the chance to move their body, things like that that their body need, needs to stay calm. Um, as opposed to this concept of sitting down. Like, for instance, maybe the child can't sit at a table. Maybe they need to sit on the floor or on a ball
1: or whatever it is. Exactly. And I think, you know, yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, and it's not about, I mean, calm, internally calm, well-regulated, in a better state of arousal, sort of in that in that just-right place of arousal and not being over aroused or under aroused you know, and, and providing the child with whatever they need for their own individual sensory system to feel okay so that they can then access and engage with the learning that's going on in, the, in, in, in whatever arena they're in.
0: Um, this is great, and again, we're, lis- we're you're listening to Affect Autism with Jackie Bartell in Rochester, New York, talking about applying DIR and DIR floor time in a public school setting. I want to end with asking you about a question I know that is uh, very dear to you. <laughs> um, how important is it to have parents on board? Um, what happens if a child comes to school? And um, there are certain things happening in the home that may not be conducive to a, a DIR intervention or that um, are maybe working against a DIR intervention. Um, and I know you have strong opinions about this. Um, what is the best uh, way for staff to sort of navigate um, parental involvement or lack of um
1: <clears throat> that kind well, of thing, Daria, I think you know you 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 know me. So it, it parent, parental involvement is on a continuum as well, and I think that we as as providers who are working with with their their children, we have to be very mindful about where parents are in terms of their ability to be, you know, providers. You know. To, to, their their ability to engage in some of the ideas that we have and you know, for some families the day-to-day living is 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 exhausting and i think that we have to be sensitive and mindful of what the experiences are for the parents and for the families you know because they're with these 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 guys for far longer than any of us you know in the educators or therapists or any of us we don't have to deal with with the ongoing issues that these kids have and you know at home the children you know the children are you know, they, it's it's their downtime so I think we have to be very sensitive to um, grading parents about how they are interacting or, or, or what they're doing with their children having said that I think that we also the more we can have parents understand this idea of sensory profiles this idea of regulation. The more capable they are going to be of of getting their children in, in, in being able to interact with their children and being able to support their children. And so I think as staff, we have to be sensitive to where the ch- where the parents are, but also supportive of them. In, in their process of being able to interact and engage with their children as well. And so that, mean, you know, that, that means education, that means sharing, you know, we're doing this in school, this is really working really nicely, you might want to try it at home. But what we don't want to do, we don't want to make judgment of, of parents about how they're parenting because sometimes they're doing the very best they can in the situation that, they, that, that they've been given.
0: Now, I know I've heard many examples, certainly not in your school district, (laughs) but um, of people I've spoken with in in the general Toronto area, where parents are bringing ideas to the school, this is what my child responds to best, this is what my child needs, and they feel like it's being ignored, Um, and you know... Everybody in the DIR world knows that parents are the experts on their children and we know what what works best for a child and certainly we're open to hearing um what educators have also found that supports children but um how 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 I guess do you have any thoughts about that
1: you know Daria the the parents are paramount in in their understanding of who their children are and educators are of the educators and you know other therapists are also thinking that you know that 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 they know what's best and and we have to work collectively as a team that we have to listen to each other and the, the 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 truth of the matter is is that when parents have an idea usually they're spot on and we have to listen to them. And, you know when what happens for those parents, as you describe. And you know, sadly, the districts that I've worked in, it's the same everywhere. They're the the, the people that we judge parents if they would just do blah blah blah. Then, well, you know, that's all well and good, but we're not living in their homes, and we're not living. So, so we we have to be mindful of what that experience is like. And that if a parent has an idea, let's embrace it. Let's talk about it. Let's think it through. Let's go for it. And see, see see what happens. You know, because as I said, you know, it's like we're molding a piece of clay. It isn't all or nothing because we're human beings. And so that, you know, that qualitatively it says to us that it can't be an all or nothing thing. It's, it's a process, and, it's, and, and we have to take be go on the journey with parents, not against them, because the child is you know, if, if, if the child is in first grade, they're with us in first grade for one year, and then they move on to the next grade. The parent is, 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 is a constant, and they're, they are there for the long journey. And so we really have to join the parents in their journey and support them in their journey.
0: And I really like what you've said. I've heard in other settings you talk about, um, you know, something may have happened at home and staff make an assumption about why the children's behavior is coming up. And do you want to continue from there of that example I've heard you say before of, of what the staff needs to do as opposed to making right. assumptions?
1: Well, we can't make assumptions, you know, and I think that it's important for us to say that that's, that's that's what's happened at home, but now we're in school. And so let's take the customer that has come to us, think about where they are in terms of their regulations, think about where they are in terms of their ability to focus and attend, and do what we need to do to support them in that moment. You know, and and, and not say, oh, well, if the parent would have just done this or this and this happened at home so that's why we're seeing this behavior here well that's useless because we still have not then supported the child or the student in what their needs are at that moment you know it's to, and, and we all all of us have those kinds of experiences where something happens to us good good or not so good but and we we have to manage it and for our, the students that we're talking about, they need some more support and some more help to be able to manage it. And they also need space to organize themselves so that they can get to a place where they're more capable and available to be engaged. And so we have to, you know, we have to allow them that, those moments, just as we allow ourselves those moments, You know, something—if something really crazy happens to us as we're driving, then we give ourselves a few minutes and go, "Okay, I just—I gotta just regroup." Or you know, we get to work. You know, the 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 expressway was backed up. You know, there's an accident on the bridge, and there's you know, it's snowing or it's raining, and we get to work and we stand there and we go, "I just—I just got to take a minute." We gotta let our kid, these these kids, do the same thing and not expect them to be who they were when they left us the day before and we can't judge and say well that the, the parents did this and this so this is the this is why you know the child is this way and oh well cuz that's not useful for anyone
0: so i hear you saying that the best thing staff can do really is take into account what's happening in this moment, what can we do in this environment to make it conducive for this child to regulate and be able to share attention and engage with us and make it a safe place where they can trust us in the relationship so it is a safe place for them to be and be able to um, relax, essentially, and be able to learn and enjoy their experience at school, regardless of what's happening at home you got
1: it and and i like that those words a safe place and a safe place means a safe place from a physical perspective but it also means a safe place from an emotional perspective and it's a meaning that they can come and know that if they're not well regulated that they're going to be safe and and supported in finding their themselves into that more a better regulated place because I because the, here's the thing these guys no more want to be dysregulated than we want them to be dysregulated and they're not trying to be naughty they're not trying to be manipulative they're not trying to control they're not trying to get out of doing something the new one that I heard this week was they're they don't hold grudges you know that's you know, because none of us, none of us say, "Oh, today I'm going to decide that I'm going to control the situation." That's not how it works. So I think that we have to be mindful and 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 supportive of kids so that they can feel physically safe and emotionally safe.
0: And I think the the holding grudges piece could could also simply be. Um if if a child has a a negative interaction with somebody the next time they see that person it might be really hard for them to trust that person and so again it's about building the relationship and trust so that the child does feel safe and in a warm nurturing relationship and it doesn't mean that the child's holding a grudge it means that they're not feeling safe in that moment or in that relationship
1: Right, and 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 that there has to be opportunity for relationship repair. So we, it's okay to say to these guys, "I'm sorry, I, I I did something that wasn't okay," because it's bound to happen. You know, there's there isn't a perfect one of us out there.
0: Right, right, and and um, I've also heard you say that you know sometimes staff need to take a break. If if you have a child whack you across the face or spit at you then you might need a moment to calm down and collect yourself while someone else takes over for you so that you can then come back and approach the child in a safe and loving way and an empathetic way and in a compassionate way, as opposed to feeling overreacting. Yeah, overreacting to it, which is very hard. I mean, parents know that better than anyone. Um, when When you see behaviors that stem from, um, dysregulation. So, I want to thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Jackie Bartell from Rochester, New York, a special educator and DIR Floor Time Expert Training Leader, and we have been talking about DIR in a public school setting. If you go to Affect Autism um, in the blog, there will be um, a description of what we've discussed with some links where you can find more information. And thank you so much, Jackie, for being with us today.
1: My pleasure. It was great chatting with you, Daria. And until
0: next time, here's to Affecting Autism.